This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We're discussing the uniqueness of the mitzvahs, of the physical actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. Why that's so important. Because although the Torah says you should connect with Hashem, and you connect with Hashem, connect to His attributes, Hashem's kindness. It's like Hashem is kind. He clothed Adam. He visited the sick. He visited Abraham after the operation, after the bris. He comforted Yitzchak when he was in mourning for Abraham. So, too, we should also follow and emulate Hashem's emotional attributes, which should be kind and compassionate. And but you cannot really connect with Hashem's attributes. We know of Hashem's attributes, but we have no clue, we have no understanding of the soul, of the essence of Hashem's attributes. And he gives the analogy, Abraham Avinu said, I am dust and ashes. Meaning that although Avram emulated, embodied Hashem's divine attribute of kindness, Avram's kindness was incredible, was unusual, was off the charts. There's never been such kindness. The world has never seen such kindness. His tent was open in all four sides. He sacrificed himself to save the people of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sacrificed to save his nephew Lot. And Everything he had, he gave, he sheared. Tzedakah was incredible. It says, Hashem says, I love him because he taught his children to do tzedakah and mishpat. Tzedakah is righteousness, tzedakah, charity. And mishpat means justice. What do you mean tzedakah or mishpat? Because most people give tzedakah. They judge, how much should I give? Do I give 10%? Most people in America, you're lucky if they give 1%. But according to Jewish law, you're obligated, if you can. If a person can't afford to pay his bills, you're not obligated to give 10%. But if a person can pay his bills, you're obligated to give 10%. And better yet, 20%. So you judge, how much should I give? Should I give 10%? Should I give 20%? And do I give it from the gross, from the net? You know, you have to calculate everything. <laughs> what, is, what is 10%? You're very calculating about tzedakah. I don't want to give less, but I don't want to give more. I give what I have to. Avram was the exact opposite. Avram judged what he needed. And he was very judgmental. He was very precise. Do I really need this? What do I need? How many pairs of shoes do I have? Avram was a billionaire. How many pairs of shoes do I need? How many steaks do I eat? And what do I really need? And the rest he gave. <laughs> That's an incredible type of tzedak. He gave everything away. Not only his money, his time, and his, and his abilities, and his talents, and whatever he had, 
he shared and he gave and he communicated. So Avram's kindness was divine. It was godly. It was way beyond. It wasn't just Avram was a liberal and he liked being kind. It was based on, it was much deeper than that. It was based on the divine. He was a reflection of the divine attribute of kindness. Nevertheless, Avram says about himself that his relationship to the divine attribute of kindness is like dust and ashes. Like ashes. What is the relationship between ashes and where the ashes came from? You take a piece of wood, you take a tree and you burn it down and what are you left with? Ashes. We don't want to use a gross example of people who cremate or cremated, God forbid, which is absolutely forbidden by Jewish law. When you burn something and the ashes, when you look at the ashes, do I have any idea where these ashes came from? What's the resemblance? Although the ashes are the very essence of, of the thing that was burnt. Because everything in this world is composed of the four basic elements. Earth, gas, liquid, water, uh, air, air, and energy, fire. So when you burn something, the fire goes up is with the fire. The gas, that's the air. The smoke rises. The moistness in the smoke, that's the, that's the liquid. What are you left with? The part that's indestructible, the ashes. That's the core, that's the essence of it all. But there's no resemblance between what's left and the original object. It's not even a reflection. You can't even say it's a reflection. It's a miniature. It's not even a reflection. There's no connection. It's almost like a, it's what's, I don't see the connection between this beautiful tree and what, what's remained, what's left of it. This, these ashes reduced to ashes. So Avram is saying human kindness, even if it's the kindness of Avram Avinu, Abraham, which was divine and godly, it, in comparison to, to the divine kindness, it's like the comparison between ashes in comparison to its origin. So for a moment, we shouldn't think that we have any clue, any concept of the divine. We talk about God's kindness. We talk as if we have any clue what we're talking about. God's compassion. We have no clue. We can only discuss things that we know. So we know, the only thing we know is there, there exists the existence of God's kindness. And in that sense, we can say God is kind and we're also kind. But it's not just our kindness is finite and God's kindness is infinite. It's not just a question of degree, finite and infinite. It's qualitatively. We have no clue what the divine kindness means. because God is infinite. God is undefined. We have no idea what that even means. We're just using words. It's like a parable. But even a parable reflects the moral of the story. But here, it's like ashes in comparison to its origin. So a person shouldn't delude himself and think, I'm a miniature God, you know, I'm also kind, I'm also compassionate. Our human kindness, it's nothing in comparison to God's kindness. Just like you can't describe to a blind person what sight and colors are, no matter how bright and brilliant he is, 
someone who's born blind simply has no clue. There's no way you're talking about. Because if you don't have it in you, I can't describe something I don't have. Could you imagine a seventh sense, an eighth sense, a ninth sense? Impossible. No matter how creative you are, no matter how genius you are, no matter how uh, your imagination is, there's no way. I can't imagine something I don't have. God is not limited to five senses, six senses, seven senses, or ten senses, a hundred senses, a thousand, a million, a zillion, infinite senses. So you, we cannot describe God because we're not God. We're not godly. We can delude ourselves. There are many people who delude themselves that they're... But we are so far from the essence of the divine, we can barely understand spirituality. We've never seen spirituality. We've never seen our soul. We know it exists. We know we're alive. We feel we're alive. I don't know what it is. Scientists can't describe electricity. We, we know what it does. We know it's there. I, don't, I have no idea what it is. Anything we can't see, we can't taste, we can't touch, we can try to describe it and try to... We know it exists, but we don't necessarily understand it. We know the body-soul connection. We, under, we see it in action, but we don't necessarily understand it. It's so beyond us. So we are so limited. We are limited in our senses. We are so limited in our capacity. Our capacity is so limited that we have no true, genuine understanding of anything spiritual, let alone anything divine and godly. So we talk about the divine attributes of mercy and compassion, as if we have any clue what we're talking about. Only someone who's delusional thinks that he has a clue what he's talking about. But the truth is we have no clue what we're talking about. God's divine attributes of kindness, of compassion, of mercy. We, we, don't, we can't even comprehend it. We don't even have the tools with which to comprehend it. All we know is that it exists. We know there is such a thing as divine attribute of kindness. But our kindness doesn't help us understand the divine kindness. If anything, it's like the ashes in comparison to its origin. So it's very humbling. When we talk about Hashem, we have to approach it. When we talk Kabbalah, we have to approach it with tremendous humility. Because the first thing we have to know, we, we have no idea what we're talking about. We have no clue what we're talking about. We're dealing with something that's beyond our company. Not because of lack of trying, because we, it's not possible. We don't have the tools with which to know. We're not God. We don't even know what we're talking about. We don't know what godliness looks like. We know of its existence. We know of the existence of Hashem's kindness. That's about it. So that's a very, that's the premise, the assumption, the whole approach. When you approach Kabbalah and you approach the divine, you have to approach it with, don't try to coarsen it and crassen it and make it by trying to think you're, you're, you're discussing something that you have any idea what you're talking about. You have to approach it with a tremendous sense of humility. And then we left off in the middle of page 309. This is all the more true. This is all the more true with regard to the infinite Ain Sofi, for no thought can apprehend him in his radiance or the diffusion of the life force issuing from. So if we have no understanding of the divine attribute, which Hashem emanates from within Himself, which is a defined attribute of mercy, of compassion, and even that we have no clue we're talking about. How much more so when you're talking about the Oren Saf, the infinite light, which is not only infinite but undefined. We surely have nothing with which to grasp the infinite light. We're using language because we know of the existence. We know it's sheer. It's the quality, some qualities of light, but God forbid to think in terms of physical light or 
anything, anything we could imagine, we know that it's not God. There were two Hasidim were having a discussion, and one says, please, describe to me God. He says, how can I describe God? God is unknowable. God is unknown. He says, nevertheless, he, started, he opened his mouth, and he started saying something, and his friend slapped him across the face. He says, you fool. The moment you open your mouth, it's not God. Anything you say, any words you use, any concepts you have, any images you have, it's, it's, what are you talking about? What do you, you know anything about God? You know nothing. All we know is the existence. How do we know the existence of God? One can only grasp his existence, that he gives life to all, but not his essence. We know from the effect. We know from the external. Just like we know of our soul. I don't know what a soul looks like. I've never seen my soul. I've never heard my soul. But I know. I see I'm alive. I see the effects of the soul. So I know that the soul exists. So I know the existence of the soul. But I don't know its essence. I have no clue. I can't grasp what is the soul. What is it exactly? What are we talking about? When it comes to something physical, I know what it is. I can grasp it. I can wrap my mind around it. I can put my fingers on it. I know what it is. But when I talk of anything that I cannot grasp with my senses, it's words. But it's really, it's just words. He says here, in his radiance or the diffusion of the life force. What does he mean, the diffusion of the life force? The spreading, the life force. The spreading of the life force to the whole universe. Diffusion, the spreading of the life force to, anim- to create and sustain the whole universe. Like light diffuses, it spreads. So the light, the light is spread, spreads. Um, and radiance? Uh, radiance, and radiates. The light radiates. It radiance, radiates. It's an illumination, it radi- and, and it diffuses, it spreads. It, it illuminates, it comes from the sun, it comes from the source. It points to the source, and then it, it diffuses and spreads. The light of the sun spreads until it reaches the far corners uh, of the earth. The, um, and it warms the earth, and it heats the earth. So we see the effect of the light. But not that we have any idea. You know, when you, ha- when you have a map, and the map, on the map, the map points to a certain country. Fine. You know, it's, a, it's like a symbol. But if you've never been there, if I really know what, what it is, I'm just, I'm, it's like a, a symbol. So we're talking about, we're talking symbols, you know, this, we're talking about the light, and we're talking about the kindness, and we're talking about that. But not that we have any clue. We were never there, and we will never be there, because we can't be there. We're not, we're not it. So we really have no idea, no, no idea what we're talking about. We really don't know what we talk. All we know is its existence. We know it's there. We know the effect. We see the effect. We see the effect of the light. But I have no idea what it is. I can't grasp it. I don't have the tools with which to grasp You know, the modern physicist appreciates this. Modern physics has come, physicists has come to the realization that the whole known universe is 5% of the universe. 95% of the universe, all the billions and zillions of galaxies and stars, everything that we know and see is 5% of the universe, 95% of the universe. Not only don't we know, we can't know. We don't have the tools, no. dark matter, dark energy. 
So that, this, is just the un, this is just the universe that we see is just 5% and there's realities beyond that. And that's just the physical universe. Imagine the parallel universes and the higher levels. I mean, we, we have no, we're talking about the world of formation, the world of creation. We have no idea, no idea what we're talking about. We, we, don't, we can't know. We don't even have a tool which know. This is just the physical universe. And let it alone to know something spiritual, to, to know the infinite and to know the divine attributes, to know the infinite light that's beyond the attributes, that's undefined. So all we know is existence. We know that Hashem exists because He gives life. Just like we know our soul, you look at the world, the world is alive. So we know that Hashem is giving life. So we know there's a light. There's a radiance from Hashem that's creating, sustaining, and giving life to the whole universe and all the multiple universes. This applies even to the supernal beings of whose praise is written, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The above phrases are by the Sepharim, Seraphim, angels of the word of Beria. They perceive that even Hashem descends to relate to the created beings so that He is called the Lord of hosts. He is Kadosh, holy, a term which implies that He is separate from them. So even as Hashem is creating and sustaining and animating all the worlds, including the world of creation, which has the highest level of angels, which are called Seraphim, they're burnt in ecstasy because they have such a deep understanding of Hashem, but they recognize that Hashem remains separate, Hashem remains transcendent, Hashem remains apart, unknown. A mystery, completely unknown. Only emanated effects can conceive their cause. The spiritual beings of the world of Atzilut are each an effect brought about by a cause in the levels higher than themselves. These beings vest themselves in each other in turn and at each level are able to comprehend the antecedent cause that is vested within it. This we learned in the Holy Letters, letter number 20, that in the, in the world of emanation, each divine emanation follows the previous. So wisdom leads to a bina, to understanding, understanding leads to knowledge, which leads to kindness, which leads to gavura, which leads... Each one follows the other. It's like cause and effect. So cause and effect are very close to each other. The cause and the effect are very, are very near to each other. Even though they're different, it's a lower level, but nevertheless, they all contain, the effect is contained within the cause, and the cause contains the effect. Like the speech is within the thought. The thought is within the emotion. The emotion is within the idea. So the idea already contains the emotion. Because there's a judgment that comes. If you understand something, that leads to a judgment. Well, am I f in favor or am I against? Which leads to a full-fledged emotion. Which leads to a thought. Which leads to, to speech. Which leads to an action. So it's like a chain. A chain we call Seder Ashtarshul. It's like a chain reaction. A link that leads to the next link. That leads to the next link. So each one is fully it contains the other. It's like a mother is pregnant with a child. So the child is within the mother. So the mother is the cause, the child is the effect. They're near each other, even though they're separate, and it's, it's, it's a step down, and it's, it's the next level, but nevertheless, it's all linked, and it's all connected with each other. What is emanation? Yes, the world of emanation, correct. So in the world of emanation, the ten svirot are all included in each other. 
the last one is included in the first one, and each one leads to the other. So in the case of Ilava Olu, they're both of the same substance. They're both of the same, they're close to each other. So they're both more or less, even though it's a, low, it's a descendant level, it's, 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 it's going further, developing further, but nevertheless, it's all connected. Is the root of the word from Etzel? Like yes, Etzloi right. Close to Hashem, exactly. It emanates from within Hashem. So in the case of Ilav, so in the case of the divine, within the divine itself, the divine world of emanation that emanates from within Hashem, all ten svirot are connected to each other. And each one contains the other. So in that sense, the effect could understand the cause. Bina understands Chachm. Because it was, in, it was included in Chachm, and Chachm contained Bina. The emotions relate and are affected by the intellect because the intellect contains emotions and the emotions are, and the intellect gives birth to the emotions. So they affect each other. The intellect affects, affects, uh, affects the emotions because they're near each other, like a mother affecting the child. They're, 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 they're close and they're the same substance. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. They're the same substance. Yes, emotions are on a lower level than intellect, but it's, it's a logical development. Intellect leads to emotions. Emotions lead to thought. Thought leads to speech, to action. So since it's a logical development, each one contains the other, it's like the seed. It's all contained. It's all there. And therefore, they relate to each other, and they are affected by each other. And they can grasp. The effect can grasp the cause, understands the cause could relate to the cause, even though it's like the student and the teacher. The student is a lower level than the teacher. But nevertheless, the student connects to the teacher. The student understands the teacher. The student is able to receive and learn from the teacher. And the teacher engages in the student. So the higher level engages in the lower level. The lower level is fully engaged and is able to grasp something of the higher level. But that's only within the divine emanations, with each other. But anything that's not godly, anything that's not part of the divine emanations, anything that's not part of the world of emanation, anything that's created, something from nothing, we don't have the tools with which to grasp anything godly. We simply don't have it within us. No matter, not because of lack of trying. It's just an impossibility. There's a glass ceiling that we can never reach because we don't have it within us. According to the order recounted in Etz Chaim, concerning the investment of the visages, Chaim explains how the visages of the supernal of Etzilat invest themselves in each other. Each effect is able to comprehend its cause, the visage that is garbed within it. So each one is able to comprehend. So the spirit are able to comprehend each other. This is not the case with created beings, even with souls of Atzilut. Though the souls of Atzilut are divinity, still, since these have become sundered from the vessels of the ten spirit, as explained above, they are termed created beings and are unable to apprehend the essence of godliness. Thus it is written regarding Moses that you will see my hinder part, an external manifestation of the mere existence of divinity, but not the essence, the mahut. Thus through the vision of his soul alone, as the soul gazes upon Hashem, 
without the benefit of mitzvot, even Moses could apprehend no more than externality, not essence. So we are from the outside looking in. We have our nose. Moshe had his nose at the window, and he can, but he's in the outside looking in. He can never truly know the essence. Even Moshe, the greatest, the greatest prophet that ever lived and will ever live, all he can see is the external. He exists. He can see clearly. It's a prophecy, so it's more than just knowing. We all know, we all learn and study, but Moshe experienced it. He saw it. It was a prophecy. But what did he experience? What did he see? He saw the existence, that it exists. And he saw it clearly. Just like we see with our eye, he's able to see that it exists. But the essence, even Moshe had no idea. Couldn't know or grasp the essence from the inside. Because it's godly and we're not. Moshe, even the greatest soul, the soul of the world of, of emanation, is separate. It's an entity. It's an individual. It's separate and apart from the divine. It's not the God. Any human being who thinks he's God is an idol. It's an idolatry. It's, he's an individual. A great individual. The greatest individual. The greatest soul. The deepest soul. But it's not the Hashem. And simply doesn't have that ability to grasp anything that's beyond beyond us. So this is all the introduction to what's so special about the mitzvah. That the mitzvah are not like that. The mitzvah, when you do the mitzvah physically, you are connecting and touching the very essence of Hashem. Not the manifestation. Not the existence. When you study and you learn and you know, and you can even have prophetic experiences, which no one has today, but even if you have that highest level of experience, spiritual, even divine, prophetic experience, all you're touching is the surface, the, not the, the external. You don't know the essence. You can't touch the essence. You can't experience the essence. But when you're touching the mitzvah, when you're eating that matzah, you're shaking that lulav and esrik. You're putting on the tefillin. You, you're lighting the candle. You are touching the divine. The very essence of the divine. That you can only get with the mitzvah. That's why the soul waits thousands of years to come down into this world. Because the soul is in heaven. It's, it's sublime. It's heavenly. It's illuminated but they have nothing on us here in this world in this dark coarse crass world confused world in this world we have an opportunity that the soul in heaven does not have we have the opportunity to touch the divine to touch the essence of Hashem by doing the mitzvah physically fulfilling the mitzvah it's all the meditation in the world doesn't even get you close. It's really amazing, you know, that uh, here you're talking about, uh, you know, you can't ex experience the infinite, the, the essence and all of that. And all the more so 
you see, the, one appreciates the mitzvah. In other words, everything we just said was like a preamble to like appreciating how holy the mitzvah is. Exactly. Instead of looking at it as a burden, as an obligation, as a chore, we should be jumping from joy at the gift and the opportunity Hashem gave us. That we have the opportunity to do a mitzvah. And this is an opportunity that Hashem gave us at Sinai. We're two weeks away from Shavuos. This is an opportunity that Hashem gave the Jewish people. You know, when a non-Jew puts on tefillin, nothing happens. When a Jew puts on tefillin, you're touching the divine. What a gift. No wonder why we thank Hashem every day for this gift. 3,330 years later, to be precise, we still jump out of bed every morning and can't wait to put on the tefillin, do the mitzvah, study the Torah, study the halacha, because it's unparalleled, it's unmatched. There's nothing like it. All the spirituality in the world and all the meditation in the world and all the Kabbalah in the world there's nothing has nothing on doing the mitzvah and that's why he, expl- he explained earlier we learned last week but that explains why even someone like Rabbi Shimon Bayechai like Bayechai this Thursday if there's a mitzvah if there's a mitzvah that only he can do and no one else can do that overrides everything else he has to drop everything, drop his prayer, drop his Kabbalah, drop his meditation, and go and physically do the mitzvah. And that way Moshe, Moshe himself, the greatest prophet, pleaded and begged, begged with Hashem, please let me go into the land of Israel. Because with all my greatness and all the prophecy and everything that I'm experiencing, it has nothing on the mitzvah, which I can only do in the land of Israel. Let me go in the Holy Land so I can do the mitzvah, physically do the mitzvah. The performance of mitzvah, however, as the Altarebbe will now explain, connects a Jew with the essence of divinity. When he holds a network together with the other three kinds of vegetation and fulfills the mitzvah of the four species, on Sukkot, he is holding on to the essence of divinity, and so too with regards to all the practical mitzvah. But as to the performance of mitzvot, these are the works of God, unlike other worldly actions, from which divinity is utterly concealed. The Alter Rebbe now explains how this comes about. So when you do a mitzvah, the physical object of which you're doing a mitzvah, even though God creates everything in this world, everything is creation from God. But everything in this world, the Hebrew word for the world, this olam, comes from the word helem. God is hiding, God is concealed. So the object is not a holy object. It's a secular object. It's not a holy object. It's not a godly object. Some object has the potential to be used for a mitzvah, but the object itself is not a holy object. Even though Hashem is everywhere, but Hashem hid and concealed Himself. And this object was created through many concealments and through many... So the object itself is not a holy object. 
But nevertheless, Hashem is able to hide also, just like Hashem is able to create. Hashem is able to hide. That we learn in the second part of Tanya. You can go back and you can learn at a great length the idea of Tzimtzum. Just like Hashem has the ability to create, He also has the ability to hide. And is infinite. Just like Hashem has an infinite ability to create, He also has an infinite ability to hide. And He has, and he has concentrated Himself, uh, hidden Himself, and therefore this world is not a holy object. When you take a mitzvah, you're accomplishing something. You don't say, Hashem is everywhere, so what's the big deal if I do a mitzvah, I don't do a mitzvah, Hashem is here anywhere. If I do, I don't do. Every object, everything is Hashem. No, no, that's not the way it is. Hashem created the world in such a way that everything is hidden and concealed and comes through many contractions and therefore it's disconnected and it's not holy. But when a Jew does a mitzvah, something very special happens. Halachically, physically, this object becomes a holy object. Not just a symbol. When you write a Torah scroll, the scroll becomes holy. I can't take that scroll certain places. I could take anything else to certain places. You can take a newspaper there, but you can't take a holy book. Why not? God is everywhere. What's the difference? What's the difference in this and that? There's a difference. This you can't take to certain places, and this you could take to certain places. This is holy. There's holiness in the object because this is now godly. This is divine. This parchment has now become a divine and holy object versus everything else is not holy. So there's a huge difference between, even though everything, that's what he says, even though everything comes from Hashem, but the world was created, unlike other worldly actions, which divinity is utterly concealed, and therefore it doesn't have holiness. But the mitzvah, when you take an object and do a mitzvah with it, this object now becomes holy. And now he's going to explain how this happens. In the process of the chain of descent from the vessels of Atsilut to Beriyah, Yesirah, and Asiyah, for the vessels of Atsilut that descend into this world are the divinity of this world, from the very nature and essence of their external aspect. As for example, within the Edward and its kind, the Holy One, blessed be He, clothes something of the very nature and essence of the internal attributes of kindness of self meaning from the outward state, from the external aspect of this internal attitude, as is known in the case of all misbots requiring action. The world of emanation, not only the lights of the world of emanation, even the vessels of the world of emanation are all divine, are all godly. The vessels of the world of emanation, the very essence of these vessels is now enclosed in the physical Etrog, with which we do the mitzvah, the lulav and the esrog and the four species with which we do the mitzvah. It's very essence from the external, from the vessels of the world of emanation, the vessels of, of the attribute of kindness, which is now found in this physical esrog with which we do the mitzvah. But this, these vessels, just like the lights of the world of emanation, are one with Hashem. So the very essence of Hashem is now found in this physical object. Which you can't say the same for a human being, for a person. Man, by contrast, who by means of his intellect or spiritual emotions can attain intellectually generated love and fear, even if he possesses the soul of Atsilut, yet since it is closed in a body, cannot detect and apprehend though through his soul, the nature and essence of the inward attributes of kindness, of Za, and of Atilut. For in general terms, Atilut represents the state of, of Kaya in the four worlds of Atilut, 
Beria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Specifically, each of the four worlds possesses all four soul levels of Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya. In a general sense, however, each of these four worlds corresponds to one of these levels. Asiya represents, uh, corresponds to Nefesh, Yitzira to Ruach, Beria to Neshama, and Atzilut corresponds to Chaya. And Chaya denotes encompassing transcendence, not being vested within any vessel, whatever. Unlike the soul level in man, called neshama, which reflexes power of comprehension, or ruach, which reflexes spiritual emotions, and so on, each of these soul levels having their specific location within the body, chaya, is transcendent soul level that encompasses the individual from above. So too, with regards to the worlds, chaya, parallel from the world of atzilut, is the spiritual level that encompasses from above and does not vest itself at all within a vessel. Thus, a person living within a body cannot possibly uh, apprehend the essence of an entity at the level of Atsilut. With regard to the internal attributes of kindness of Za, a man is able to, to apprehend only their existence through intellectually generated awe and love. A neshama, a human being, who understands and understands very deeply, which generates spiritual emotions. But because we are limited, our mind, our comprehension, our hearts, our emotions, because we are limited, our consciousness is limited. The world of emanation reflects something that's really beyond our consciousness subconscious, something that's totally beyond our consciousness. So the, our whole frame of reference, our whole universe is our consciousness. That's where our universe begins and ends. We think in terms of ideas, concepts, words. That's our world, our mind, our heart. That's all we know and that's what we feel and that's what we experience. Anything that's beyond our consciousness is really beyond us can't comprehend or grasp it. So the intellect corresponds to the world of creation. Emotions correspond to the world of formation. Action corresponds to the world of action. The divine world, the divine world of Atsilas, the world of emanation, corresponds to the Chaya, to the subconscious, to the level that's beyond our comprehension. Our consciousness is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just... It's just a very tiny part within us. We're completely clueless of what's beyond that. So our whole understanding, we can only grasp and understand in terms of concepts, ideas, numbers. That's our whole frame of reference. That's our universe. We can't think outside of it. So even the deepest understanding, the deepest knowledge, the deepest awareness is, is limited. You can't truly understand the essence of something that's beyond us, beyond our comprehension. So a person, even Moshe, even someone who has an Neshamadatzilis, once the Neshama enters into the body, into human consciousness, and this is our frame of reference, and this is 
what we know, these are the tools with which we know and are aware of truths and realities. We cannot grasp, we simply cannot grasp the world of emanation. It's completely beyond us. There is no specific vessel, there is no specific place. The intellect has a vessel, the, the brain. The emotions have a vessel, the heart. The actions have vessels, the hands, the feet. But anything that's beyond the intellect, the subconscious, there's no vessel. Where's the subconscious? Which organ contains the subconscious? Subconscious is all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. There's no specific... So we don't have the, the tools with which to grasp and comprehend the transcendent level, the chaya, the all-encompassing all we can know is its existence. We know that it exists. From our consciousness, we know that there is something that's beyond our consciousness. That much we can figure out. That much we can know. We know that there's a reality that's so beyond us and transcendent that we come to appreciate the limitation of the intellect. In the beginning, you think your intellect, that's everything. That's your whole universe, and that's everything. And then you realize how tiny, insignificant, how puny, how, how limited it is. You learn to appreciate the limitations of the intellect. As you advance, as you grow, like he said, the angels in the world of creation where the deepest intellect and the deepest understanding and deepest awareness, they come to the realization and they're crying out, Hashem is holy. They come to the realization of the limitations of their understanding, how limited their grasp is, how limited their capacity to understand this which is really where the world is, is advancing to. Science has reached that level today. It has come to appreciate, intellectually appreciate, how limited our understanding is, the limitations of our understanding. And we don't have the tools with which to grasp anything that's beyond our very limited arena. We operate in the tiniest, tiniest arena, the limited arena, which blocks out everything else. We, we can but at least we can appreciate it. We can learn to appreciate it. And that's the whole focus of science today, in the mystery of the universe, in the infinite of the universe, in the infinity of the universe, in the part of the dark matter, dark energy, the part we can't grasp, we don't understand. That's what, that's they, what, what they're obsessed with, because that's what interests them, because they figured out that the limitations of what we do know, we could know, and how limited it is, and is so much, so vast and so infinite, the part that's beyond us. So the world of creation could come to an understanding that there is a world of emanation. I know of its existence, just like we're aware of the existence of the subconscious. But do I have any idea what that is? Could I truly experience it? When the body, when the soul is, is trapped in the body, when you're trapped in human consciousness, it's impossible to experience because you're limited by your conscious consciousness. Now, there is the idea of prophecy. The idea of prophecy is like, in a sense, you're shedding your body. It's like when the soul is not limited to the body. In prophecy, a person sheds his consciousness. That's why the prophet is called a madman. They would go into a trance. They would, they would 
you know, in a certain sense, shed their bodies. When a person totally sheds his body, totally leaves his ego, and totally sheds the body and becomes like a disembodied soul, then you can have the experience of prophecy. Then you can see and experience certain things that's not available or accessible to the soul when the soul is working with the body, working with our human consciousness, working with our limitations. So it helps you rise above those limitations. Then you can have an experience. Then you can have a taste, an experience, where you go beyond just understanding words, concepts, numbers. You, you, You experience something godly. But even then, what are you experiencing? The external. Like Moshe says, I'm seeing the back of Hashem. I can never see the essence of Hashem. Even by way of prophecy, even when the soul is not in the body, even when you have an out-of-body experience, even when you have this experience, all we're dealing with here, the highest level we can reach, is the external, the existence of something godly. I can experience the existence of something godly. I've experienced it. The prophet can say, I've experienced it. We talk about godliness, but we have never experienced it. The, the prophet experiences godliness because he has like an out-of-body experience. But it's the existence of godliness. He experiences the most external, superficial, but not the essence. That we can never experience, because we're not God. It's simply impossible. But without the prophetic experience, when the soul is in the body, we can't even experience that. So we're completely, completely beyond us beyond our comprehension, beyond our, our pay grade. It's totally beyond us. As to the statement, you shall see my tender part, and seeing penetrates to the essence of the matter, this refers only to prophecy. For prophecy entails divestment of the physical, as explained in Ra'aya, Mahamna, Parsha, Mishpatim. Thus, Moses' apprehension of the essence of divinity resulted from a state of prophecy that entails divestment from the physical. Through other non-prophetic means, it is impossible for the soul to apprehend the essence of any of the levels of Atsiru. So through prophecy or or out-of-body experience, you can experience the external level of divinity. At least you get a taste of divinity, but it's external. Without prophecy, without the out-of-body experience, you can't even experience that. And by the way, prayer, it says the early Hasidim, the Mishnah says they would daven nine hours a day. They would pray nine hours a day. Each prayer took three hours, morning, afternoon, and evening. One hour they would prepare for the prayer, one hour they would pray, and one hour they would internalize that experience, digest that experience, stay with that experience till they uh, internalize it. Nine hours a day they spent praying. And they reached a level that's close to prophecy. In other words, in prayer they were trying to experience, even though it was the end of the era of prophecy, there was no more prophecy, but they reached a level that came close to prophecy, a level where they completely removed themselves from all distractions and they came as close as possible to a mystical experience, to a godly experience. They were able to go beyond their egos and almost, almost like an out-of-body experience. 
So they were able to experience godliness. That's, that's what they were searching for. That's what they were aspiring to. Every day they wanted to experience godliness, not just learn about it, think about it, understand it, which, as we just explained, we just learned you can't really understand because the tools you're using understanding, you're using your mind, you're using your consciousness to understand something that's beyond consciousness. So you don't even have the tools. It's not possible. But they were, wanted to experience. They were trying to reach. They came close. That's why it took nine hours. <laughs> Very intense effort. And three hours each prayer and they came close where they completely became unselfconscious they completely forgot about themselves and became so absorbed in prayer they lost all sense of self sense of time sense of place they were completely it was as close as possible to an out of body experience and therefore they were able to go beyond their ego and they were able to experience godliness but even in prophecy even Moshe the ultimate prophet the greatest prophet all he experienced, he saw, he experienced. But what did he see? The back. The most external. Just the existence of godliness. He got a taste. But the essence of godliness, it's not possible for a human being, for a neshama, even a disembodied neshama, even in the state of prophecy. It's not possible. Even the soul of the, the world of divine emanation is not possible for them to truly grasp the essence of God, to experience the essence of God. This then is the reason no created being is capable of grasping anything whatsoever of the essence of divinity, the creator. And without comprehension, there is no real investiture or grasping or cleaving. Man is thus incapable of truly cleaving to God's attributes, i.e. the attributes of Atsilut. In light of the above, it is clear that the love and fear of God that a Jew generates through meditation during prayer grasps and cleaves to no more than the external aspect of the existence of divinity and not his... So there's no way you can connect with Hashem through prayer, through meditation, through spirituality. You can't truly connect. You're not connecting with the essence of Hashem. There's no real connection can't truly be intimate or connect. It's just, you may, the best scenario, connect with the external, with the existence, with the knowing that there is the existence of godliness, but you don't truly connect with Hashem himself. When you open up the vessel that you're striving to do to, to bring God in, isn't that a connection? Well, he's saying no matter what you, what you experience, you can have the deepest mystical spiritual experience, the deepest mystical spiritual awareness, the highest level of consciousness. You're dancing with the angels. You think you're soaring and flying. You, can, you think you're, you're experiencing prophecy. You're dealing with the most external, superficial. You're not connecting with the essence of Hashem. Don't delude yourself for a second. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond experiencing. It's beyond comprehension. We simply don't have it within us. You can't connect if you don't have it. The only way, the only way to connect with Hashem, continue, however. However, as to the etrog, by way of example, 
its life is drawn and descends from the very essence of the outer aspect of the vessels of Nukva, Avza, Avatsilut, which is truly a state of divinity. As stated in Eitzchayim, that all the fruits are rooted in Atsilut. So the fruit of the, the, these four species actually come from the world of the divine emanation. It's the very essence of the vessels of the divine emanation that's enclosed in the object with which we're doing the mitzvah. Not all fruits. All fruits ultimately come from everything. Hashem creates everything. But the essence of Hashem is only found in those objects with which you fulfill the mitzvah. When a Jew does a mitzvah, when a Jew takes the lulav and he takes the esrog and he does a mitzvah with it, performs a mitzvah, that becomes a holy object. Then the divine essence is found. Why only the lulav? No, he's giving an example. Yeah, he's giving an example. Okay. Like, he okay. says like, like the lulav and esrog. Yeah, yeah. For example, any of, the, any of the mitzvah. So it's only when you physically do the mitzvah that you can truly cling, connect, and touch the divine essence. It's almost like Hashem's sense of touch. <laughs> It's, it's the revolution of Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai was an impossibility. Like we find the expression, it was difficult for Hashem to split the sea. What do you mean it's difficult for Hashem? Hashem could do anything. What's so difficult? Hashem couldn't split the sea. What's difficult? As difficult as a splitting in the sea. Finding a shidduch is as difficult as splitting in the sea. Why, Hashem, that's difficult. Why is that difficult? What's difficult is that the physical world should remain physical and yet at the same time it should become a godly object. That the physical should remain unchanged. What's the difference? I look at this fruit and I look at that fruit. This is a citrus fruit and this is an esteric. And yet you're telling me this esteric is holy and this is a fruit, it's nothing. What changed? Did the fruit suddenly become, it, it looks the same, the same fruit. And yet, while remaining physical, and while remaining material, while remaining, it didn't become spiritual suddenly, it didn't, become, it didn't change, it's the same fruit. I look at the two. This is worth five cents, and this is worth a thousand dollars. This is holy, and this is nothing without changing physically, that it should remain physical, with all its physical properties and dimensions, nothing changed. And yet, this fruit has now become imbued with the essence of Hashem. Like Hashem's sense of touch, Hashem's... That's what's difficult. That, that the world should remain as is, just like the giving of the Torah. Hashem came down the mountain. The world didn't change. The world is a physical world. And yet Hashem came down into this world while it remained physical and Hashem imbued this physical world, this physicality with holiness by coming down the mountain. By, through Torah and mitzvah, that's what we accomplished. Hashem was showing us what we accomplished through Torah and mitzvah. We accomplished the impossible. It's difficult. It's an impossibility that the world remains physical. The leather hide is the leather hide of an animal. What's the difference between leather hide and an animal? The leather, leather hide in my jacket or my shoes. Yet this leather hide is nothing, and this leather hide is holy and sacred. While it remains physical, this is an impossibility. This is difficult. 
that the physical should remain unchanged and yet it should become completely transformed and holy and godly and divine. This is, this is an impossibility. This is what Mount Sinai is. This is what Hashem empowered the Jewish people. Only we have that power to accomplish that. Only when a Jew does a mitzvah. When a Jew does a mitzvah. Before you do the mitzvah, it doesn't have that holiness. Before a Jew puts on tefillin for the first time, unless until he does the mitzvah, it doesn't have that holiness. Until a Jew writes, writes, shakes the lul of an esrig, it doesn't have that holiness. It's when a Jew does a mitzvah, we have that power. Hashem empowered us. Only the Jew has that power. Hashem empowered us. That we can create this miracle. This, this, it's beyond miracle. It's the impossibility. That the physical should now contain the essence of Hashem. It's not like any other citrus fruit. Even I don't see the difference. This is a fruit. This is a fruit. What's the difference? This is holy. This has the essence of Hashem and this doesn't. So this is the power of a mitzvah. This is the gift of Torah. This is the gift of mitzvot. Mount Sinai, Hashem gave us mitzvot. He gave us 630 mitzvot. Ten commandments which contain all 630 mitzvot. He empowered us to accomplish the impossible. So you want to connect with Hashem? You want to touch the divine? Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi dropped his Zohar, dropped his Kabbalah, dropped his prayer, dropped everything. There's a mitzvah to be done. I have to do it. It's irreplaceable. All the Kabbalah in the world, all the meditation in the world, all the spirituality in the world has nothing, doesn't hold a candle to the physically doing the mitzvah. Moshe, being a prophet for 40 years, pleaded and begged, I want to go into the land of Israel because I need the mitzvah. I don't have that here. All the prophetic experience in the world doesn't get me to a mitzvah. This is the power of a mitzvah. Next time we do a mitzvah, how can we not be excited about the opportunity and the gift and thank Hashem? We make a bracha before, thank Hashem for the opportunity. I can do a mitzvah, I can put a tefillin, I can a mezuzah, I can shake the little nest, I can eat the matzah, give the tzedakah. There's, there's no substitute. This is how you cling. This is how you connect. This is how you touch the divine. For the very vessels of Absolute descended into the Riyah, Yetzirah, and Asiyah, in order to become the divinity of the world. And these are the ten uterines by which the world was created. So there are 30, uh, 30 vessels, and each ten of the 30 become the ten utterances. So the, high, the innermost vessels become the ten utterances of the world of creation. The middle vessels become the ten utterances of the world of formation. And the uh, lowest vessels, the external vessels, become the ten utterances of the world of action. Ruin Clodment in Milka of Asiya, essence in essence. The essence of the vessels of Malchud of Asilud vests itself in the essence of Malchud of Asiya which is the source of all created beings of that world. Included among them are the fruits of that world, such as the Edrog. While the godliness found in other physical matters is concealed in an object used for a mitzvah, it is manifest as explained in the Tanya chapter 20. For the vessels of Atzilu became the soul of Isaiah, which is actually a state of divinity. For in 
at Zulu, he and his vessels are one, the emanator and the emanation of Zulu. And through the enclosement of the essence of the soul of the vessels of Zulu in the essence of the vessels of Nukta, of Isaya, the Etrog came into being. The result is that in holding the Etrog and waving it as the law requires, one is actually holding the life force which is clothed within it and which derives from the Nukta of Atzulit and Malshu is united with the infinite Ein Soflai, the emanator of Atzul, blessed be he. But is this not also the case when one holds any other fruit where no mitzvah is involved? The answer is, as, as previously explained, that in other physical objects, the godly life source is concealed, whereas it is revealed in objects used for a mitzvah, for these are the works of Hashem. This is not the case concerning one's intention while performing the mitzvah of the etrog. Here, even if he is familiar with the mystical, Kabbalistic, and Hasidic meanings involved, he does not grasp and hold on to the essence of Malkut, the source of the etrog, but only to the external fact of its mere existence. This is entirely unlike holding a physical etrog and performing the mitzvah with it, at which time one grasps the essence of the physical esro together with its source in divinity. So there's no substitute. You can't truly grasp something. You can't grasp the essence of something unless you have it within you. You can't grasp the essence of godliness when we're not godly. So we don't, we don't know what it is. We don't have it. We have no idea what it is. We can't even experience it. We don't have the tools, which the deepest, the most profound, prophetic, mystical experience is just reaches the external. Just we can experience the truth and the reality that there is something like this, but we have no idea the essence of Hashem remains completely beyond us. And uh, there's no way we can grasp it. But when you do the mitzvah, you are grasping the essence of Hashem, the infinite that's contained within this Esra, because the life of the Esra comes from the uh, Malchut, from the um, creative energy of the world of action, which comes from the vessels of the world of emanation, which is one and inseparable from Hashem himself, the infinite. So this infinite is contained within, when you do the mitzvah with this object, when the physical object, you are touching, you are grasping, your hands are grasping. I can grasp the Esrug, but within this Esrug is contained the infinite light, the life that comes from Hashem. So I'm grasping Hashem, I'm touching Hashem, I'm being touched by Hashem. Hashem's sense of touch, we are touching the divine. That's the power of a mitzvah. So we should do the mitzvah with zeal and zest, enthusiasm, excitement, passion. There's no substitute. And that's why the action, Judaism is so action-oriented. All other religions are about philosophy, love, meditation, spirituality. And in Judaism, what's the emphasis? The deed, the action. You can meditate from today till tomorrow. If you don't do the action, what do you have? Garnished. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
certifiably nothing. But if you do the mitzvah, what do you have? You have the essence. You connect it. You grasp it. You're touching the divine. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.